Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Episode 40 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Thank you very, very much for pressing play, download, or however you access your podcasts. Once again, it is hugely, hugely appreciated. On today's show, we have the return of the alpha male, Yestin Reese. Um, Yestin was on the SJP Wrestling Podcast way back when we were still in single digits. I think he was like episode four or five, potentially. Talking about his starts in the business, the training process, what got him into wrestling, and so on. Um, Yestin returns this week, however, to do something slightly different. I've been going back and looking at old matches and old pay-per-views and events and so on with various um, independent wrestlers from the UK, just sort of giving a little insight into what they enjoy or they don't enjoy, how certain matches are put together. Yestin has joined us this week to take a look back on two matches that he really enjoys um, and and to offer uh, a certain level of insight as to how these matches were put together from a storyline standpoint, from a psychology standpoint and so on. It really is an absolutely fascinating discussion. I'm sure you will really, really enjoy it and I want to thank Yestin yet again for his time. Before we get to that, however, let me just quickly do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, If you are listening to this and you don't already follow the show on social media, please do. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, and it's all at SJP Wrestling Pod. You can find me at SJP Words and also check out my other show that I do with my good buddy Mags called Chain Wrestling. You can find that on Facebook and Twitter as well at Chain underscore Wrestling, um, where the conversation is very much guided by everyone listening. People vote on Twitter each week to see which match we would look at the following week. The only sort of criteria being that each match links with the match previously. So we would watch a certain contest, Mags and I, and then both put forward a link, an option for where we'd like to go. And you good people on Twitter and listening to the show vote away to decide whereabouts we head the following week. Um, we also have various other non-wrestling topics that we discuss. It's all sort of just a light-hearted look at this crazy wrestling world. Um, it's had plenty of good feedback, so I hope people will check that out and give it a listen and hopefully enjoy it as much as everyone else has been saying they have too. Again, the show's Twitter is at chain underscore wrestling, and you can find all the links to various episodes there. But that's enough of me waffling on this week. Let's get now to our chat with the alpha male, Justin Reese. Once again, thank you for listening. Hello, brother. This is NWA WCW Enhancement Talent, Randy Hogan, baby. Being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough. But not as rough as listening to Cyan Mags on that chain wrestling show, brother. 
what you're gonna do when this pair of fools, Cy Mag and Chain Wrestling Brother, runs wild on you. The Alpha Male, Yaston Reese. Welcome back to the SJP Wrestling Podcast. How have you been? Not too bad, not too bad. You know, it's great to be back. Uh, really enjoyed the first chat um, that we had. Uh, yeah, not much has changed in the world since then, um, unfortunately. But looks like we're getting to the end of uh, end of everything. You know, not not the end of the world. Jesus, no. The end of all <laughs> the restrictions and stuff like that. So hopefully, you know, start seeing some wrestling popping up maybe in about three or four months' time, which will be good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hopefully so. Um, it is it is crazy when you say like not much has changed considering h- how long ago it was we first spoke. It was um, I, I said just before I pressed record, it was sort of episode three or four, I think it was. Yeah. When first came on, and now this uh, I'm, I've just released episode thirty four, thirty five. So it's quite a few weeks, and it's crazy how long we've been in this kind of COVID situation. I mean, don't go wrong, completely necessary for, for what's going on in the world. But when you sort of look at it like that, with regards to literally the number of weeks in front of you, it's quite, quite a, you know, a, a big stat, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a staggering amount of time. And, and, you know, when you just think, you know, like we said, same situation as we were roughly about six months ago, not the same situation, but the same, you know, everyone's doing the same sort of thing, you know, and obviously no wrestling going on. It's just nice to hopefully be getting towards the back end of it and getting back to normality and, and everyone being able to get out and enjoy the country, enjoy their social activities and get back to watching live sport and live wrestling, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got WrestleMania coming up in a week or two, haven't we? And they're yeah. actually having live fans there, which is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think they wanted initially 40,000 a night, but I think that they've scaled it back to 20 or 25, which is still, you know, a huge, you know, a huge job. But obviously, you know, it it, it, it is what it is. You know, they've, they've got to spread it over the two days. They've got to make sure that the fans are, are separated enough around the arena and stuff like that. So again, it's going to be interesting, you know, um, two day event. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, it means a lot more guys and girls get on the cards, but does it mean that the, the those top tier matches are slightly watered down? Possibly not, but then that, the, you know, the matches that are getting on lower down the card, would they normally be a WrestleMania match? But, it's great that everyone's getting that opportunity to perform at WrestleMania. So I suppose in the whole, it's probably a good thing, but I'm excited to get back to the, the one day big show and, uh, and go from there. Yeah. I, I find it strange being the two nights. I mean, there's one thing I was going to ask you about actually a bit later on, but we might as well uh, come to it now whilst, whilst we're discussing it. it is WrestleMania and some of the modern product. Um, with regards to the two nights, I find it quite odd because it is always the big one night celebration. But then on the other side of the coin, obviously being in the UK, I mean, WrestleMania 35, I think it was, if you included the kickoff show, it was over seven hours long. Yeah. I mean, the two that I've been to in the States, you know, we were in the arena 32 in Dallas, probably about seven and a half hours and maybe closer to eight hours at 33 in Orlando, just because, you know, you're talking about getting 80, 100,000 people into a stadium. That takes time, um, you know, and with, get, you know, it's two, probably two hours to get people into their seats or an hour and a half, three hours for a kickoff show or two hours for the kickoff show and then five hours for the main card. It, 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 you know, by the end of it, 
of both experiences, you know, I was exhausted, you know, Mm. one, just the length of time, but also, especially in Orlando, sitting out in the sun for, you know, it was absolutely baking that day. You know, you sat in the sun for probably five hours from midday through till five o'clock when it starts to sort of settle down and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. As a fan experience, you know, a three or a four hour show is probably the best thing um, because those days do do drag on. But then again, if you're wanting to see all the matches, then you're looking at potentially spending double the money. But I think looking at the way they're booking WrestleMania is going forward, it is going back to the one day big show from next year. Because I think they've got Dallas again next year and then L.A., the year after at the LA Ram stadium. So I think it will go back to those shows, but maybe they've learned that they need to probably condense things a little bit instead of seven hours, you know, five, five and a half hours would probably be sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, the first sort of real experience I had, I guess, of, of a show being a big show being done over two nights would be wrestle kingdom for yeah. new, new Japan. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I went, I've never been, I've never even been abroad. Never mind been to one of these shows. So, <laughs> but, um, that was the first time we had to me, a, a company putting on an event that I watch regularly and it changing to the two night format. And as soon as it happened, you had lots of people online sort of going, okay, well, how long until WrestleMania goes to two nights? So I suppose yeah. it was kind of inevitable. It was going to happen. At and, some and they stage. kind of made the, the two nights like there were some stipulations on night one that transferred into night two with WrestleMania. It's very much this is one night yeah. and that's the next night. They haven't done, you know, a money in the bank or a ladder match or a whatever to lead on to facing someone the the following night. So it, it's almost like watching two shows. Whereas I think with the Wrestle Kingdom show, it felt like there was at least some crossover between the two days. Mm. Because a lot, a lot of the guy, you know, a lot of the guys were working two matches on the card. It might have been they worked one, and then we're in a big tag match or whatever on the second. But there was, you know, there was stakes at play for for some of the matches for the next night. Yeah, yeah, kind of knocked on to the following evening, didn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I mean, it's 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 a funny one because I suppose as well with this year's show because of um, travel restrictions and COVID and so on, you're not getting a lot of. What I suppose you'd refer to as the, the part-timers being involved, I guess. Yeah. The likes of um, I, I, I don't know how you whether you put Lesnar in as a fully fledged part-timer, but you know what I mean with him. And then you have sometimes in previous years the Rock has popped up for a quick match or sure. um, Cena, and I suppose the, even the Undertaker to a degree because he he was effectively wrestling just once a year, maybe twice a year for the last the last period of his career. How do you think that's affected WrestleMania this year, basically being? Well, I think I think I read somewhere it's the first time in six years that we've had two full-time champions going into the event. Yeah, and I think because of the way that the WWE has evolved its business over the last sort of six years, you know, it used to be six years ago was still all pay-per-view. You know, you pay your fifty to seventy to a hundred dollars for the show. Mm-hmm. Therefore, for people to you know justify spending eighty quid on a pay-per-view, because I think it was like either $80 or $100 if you wanted the HD version. They wanted to see everyone that, you know, they used the Rocks, the Lesners, the Undertakers, the Austins, you know, the Hogans as selling points for those casual fans because your hardcore demographic of fans are always going to buy it because they love the product and they, you know, and stuff like that. But when you're trying to make as much money in one night as possible, you need to throw 
everything and the kitchen sink at the wall. Whereas now, because they're on the network and on Peacock, which is a much smaller outlay for a you know <clears throat> wrestling fan, they probably don't need as many of those guys to pop the crowd and get that extra 10, 20, 30,000 buys of a pay-per-view. So you'll probably find that they're needed less, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But when they do turn up, it's more of a sort of special occasion. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I suppose also it it helps. <laughs> These guys were talking about that the Undertakers and so on, the sort of part-timers, I guess, using air quotes. Um, they become of that stature or that legendary status by having their own WrestleMania moments and huge moments with title matches uh, and main events and so on. If they're still coming in on occasion, I suppose in a way you're not getting the next set or the next generation of, of, of wrestlers getting their own moments to be viewed in that way in 10, 15 years time themselves, I suppose. Absolutely. It is that natural progression. And, you know, and I think, that you you definitely say there was getting a, a diminishing return on the Undertaker's appearances before mm-hmm. the match that he had, you know, the cinematic match that he had at the last WrestleMania, you know, it, the, you were for probably from 33 where I was at live, you know, you were definitely getting diminished returns on, on him being out on the show and stuff like that. I think with the rock and Cena, you, you, you haven't got to that point of diminishing returns um, just yet, but they're used far. They've been used in the last couple of years far less sporadic, uh, you know, far less um, than the Undertaker was being used. So I think that you've still got that ability there, but you do have that natural turnover, and you do, you know, Austin's never going to wrestle again. Da, 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 da. So you, you know, those guys move out of that position, and you you have to be pushing that new talent into those leading roles. And you know, regardless of what you think of him, Roman Reigns has taken the ball, run with it you know, and has, has done a great job being, you know, being the face of the company and, you know, and everything like that. And I think that he, you know, he's got some guys just underneath him that, that could really do that as well. Yeah. I and mean, Reigns, you mentioned there, this, this new, this new, I suppose, character or, or new, new side to the character he's portraying is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? It's exactly what, um, well, you, you obviously know my wife, Sharon, she's a huge yeah. Reigns fan. Um, she's been saying for ages, why don't they just make him mean and nasty and all this sort of stuff? And uh, it's, it's exactly the sort of thing that I suppose so many other people have been wanting from Reigns for such a long period and seeing him alongside Paul Heyman as well. And the way Heyman yeah. looks at him and the way Heyman um, reacts to things that Reigns says and does. I'm loving this new version of Roman Reigns. It's, to me, it's one of the best things on WWF television. Yeah. And it and it justifies the position that he's been put in. You know, he's now mean and nasty, but he was always, you know, he was always a good wrestler and he beat the top mm. guys. So this, you know, if you think of it from a character point of view, I beat The Undertaker, I beat Brock Lesnar, I've beaten this guy, I've beaten that guy. I am, you know, I am the head of the table and I'm just going to keep proving it until someone beats me, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense from that standpoint. I really like it. I think it's a, I think it's really, really good character. And also, if Lesnar does at any stage come back, that whole dynamic with the championship, Heyman, Lesnar, that that to me is that that's such an interesting prospect to have on the back burner potentially. And it, and it's a money, and everyone knows it's a money match. You know, regardless of what people think of Lesnar, part time champion in air quotes, every time you put the guy on, he delivers. There's not, you know, if you look back at all the main event matches that he's had, 
they've all delivered. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, the 92nd one versus Goldberg at Survivor Series, it delivered because it shocked the audience and they were blown away. Yeah. So I think that when you put Lesnar in there, you know you're getting a top-quality performer who's going to go out and, and put on top-quality matches. And I think, you know, he doesn't love... He's clear he's not in love with wrestling. So having him out there in front of no audience is only going to be detrimental. He needs to come back when the crowd is back because you're not going to get the best Brock Lesnar, I don't feel, wrestling in an empty arena. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I personally, I'm a big Lesnar fan. Um, even right back to the the next big thing days when yeah. he was he was just running in the ring and destroying people out the blue and no one really knew who he was uh, through to King of the Ring victory, beating The Rock for the title and so on. And then this, this version of Lesnar, now I just think the guy is absolutely superb. And I think he's potentially the last really big, I suppose, really big individual draw that they have on a regular basis. You've got to exclude Cena from that now, I suppose. I mean, unless Cena comes back and puts in, he doesn't need to be at Raw and SmackDown every week, but he'd need to be, you know, in a a run of pay-per-views and stuff like Mm. that, Um, which I think will happen at some point because I think he'll want to bookmark his, his career at some point. But at the moment he's off, he's doing movies, films, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, and he's, he's doing that part, you know, but I think Lesnar, you know, has, has, is that guy that is the mainstream guy, you know, people know, you know, people on the street know who Brock Lesnar is, you know, they probably know Roman Reigns. They might not know many people below that. Um, just because of the way that, you know, there's so much more content, entertainment content out there. But when you put Brock Lesnar, that's going to spike a little bit of national media coverage because of who he is and what he's done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, before we get on to our, our couple of matches topic today that we're going to discuss, um, very quickly, with regards to, you mentioned there, Lesnar and the no crowd issues and so on because of the whole COVID situation. Looking at the wrestling world in general, I mean, it's been a year now, I guess. How how do you think the, the separate companies have dealt with it? We've had the likes of um, some smaller companies shutting down altogether. We've had WWE running the Performance Center and then the Thunderdome. AEW are running, um, oh, what's that place called? Daly's Place, is it, in Jacksonville? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With some wrestlers around the outside of the ring for a while, and now they're letting a few more people in, which is a different approach to how WWE did it. TNA, I believe, or Impact, sorry, are still effectively running empty empty arenas in a similar way to the WWE did with the Performance Center at the start. How do you think wrestling in general and these particular companies have dealt with with this issue? I think the WWE, because it's got the biggest infrastructure and it's got the, the bigger fan base, I think, you know, initially they just flew off the cuff, right? We've got, what, what building can we use when no one's going to come and shut us down, right? We've got a performance center. You know, they made the most of being in there. Then they obviously moved to the Orlando Magic Arena and then they've moved, I think it's where the Miami Marlins play now. I think that's where, okay. they are, where they're at now for the Thunderdome. So, but they've got, the technology they've got the ability to put those video screens up and everything like that. And I think they had to do that because their product needed needs to be looking as if it's being watched, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas AEW, you know, they've got whatever that arena is that, that Tony Khan owns. So they were always going to use that. They, they, you know, and it does look a little bit grander than the performance center. 
I wasn't never too sure about the rest of, you know, WWE did it with NXT non-televised people, if that makes sense. Yeah. As yeah. the crowd, which kind of made more sense that they were getting into it. It was odd seeing guys, you know, you might see it in an angle where a guy sits ringside, but, you know, it was a bit odd just seeing, like, you know, right, you, you 20 people, you're out there today, you're not on the show, you know. But again, <clears throat> they did what they felt was best. You know, obviously, impacts, you know, I don't think they've got the infrastructure or the money to to do a Thunderdome or to hire a big enough building at the moment. Because they're, 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 are they still based in Canada? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Because they were bought tight by somebody else again, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> I believe they're still based in Canada. So, therefore, their restrictions are probably different to what restrictions are in Florida. Mm-hmm. So, they probably have to keep going with a closed set you know, and everyone being tested because that's probably the only way they're getting around putting on matches and, and making TV, basically. Um, each have their merits. Um, I think, I think everyone's done the best that they can with their infrastructure and their, their ability to, um, spend money for the necessary bits. I know WWE will, you know, they'll put fans at mania, but until they can fill, and I put that in inverted commas, at least the hard cam side of an arena with fans, I don't think they'll go back to live shows because Vince would not want, you know, spotty, you know, a family group, 10 seats around him, another family group, 10 seats around, you know, he's not yeah, going to want that. Empty sort of thing. Yeah, he's not going to want that as his TV product. That's why the Thunderdome is brilliant for him because it still looks busy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I with the Thunderdome, I, I wasn't a fan of things at the Performance Centre because it did just feel kind of lifeless, I guess. Which, but it was a case of needs must at the time, of course. But it was very much um, no fans there. It really, sort of took away for me watching. So when they went to the Thunderdome, I I was all I, I was all about that. I thought this looked incredible. It's fantastic. What a what a brilliant idea! Um, and then people being able to watch at home uh, via their laptops or whichever device they use. I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant now they've been there a while i'm getting to the point where i'm a bit tired of it and i think it's a little bit too i don't know overstimulating potentially because there's a lot going on with all the screens there's a lot yeah. of laser lights and the the sort of uh, computer generated um extras for the entrances to me yeah i mean i never like those computer generated extras for the entrances. no normally I, I love the fact they've got pyro back so i think that, that is something that's been missing and it's, you know, obviously it's a huge expense, but they've needed to do something to make it look big and grand when they've been making entrances. So I do get that. It's nice to see. I hate the computer generated stuff. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's pointless. Um, but they've obviously, you know, they bought some technology. So I think they've, you know, they, they basically said, right, we've got to use this. Um, it is sometimes a bit jarring because everything's so bright in the background. Whereas, you know, the, sometimes the crowd would be a little bit less obvious, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I think, they, you know, they're just doing it because it makes the arena look full. And I think that's their own, that's their only interest. Yeah, in, that makes a know. lot of sense. I, I was also speaking to, um, I'm afraid I can't remember the, the fellow's name. I had somebody else on the show recently who was saying that the Thunderdome is good from the aspect of young children because it's... Um, a lot going on and the same as when they do the camera sh- the camera cuts from move to move and it jump it seems quite jumping back and mm-hmm. forth and so it's a bit much for me i don't like that 
but then younger children apparently it's quite good for them because it's it's more stimulating for them to hold their attention so to speak so I yeah maybe that makes sense absolutely you know and i think that when you when you you know i've got young kids and when i've watched them watch wrestling it does need to be like boom 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 that you know whereas i would sit happily sit there and watch a two or three camera production with minimal cuts you know mm-hmm. because i'm watching the wrestling you know there's a difference between watching wrestling and being entertained by wrestling if that makes sense yes and i think that you know the wwe sometimes there's overkill on the the use of camera cuts and stuff like that but they're obviously going for a certain demographic and and that type of pow 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 is what what they want because that's what entices the kids so you know it's very easy to sit there and criticize but every one of these wrestling companies is trying to make as much money as possible. And if going to the kid demographic is what makes you the money, then you've got to, you've got to cater for them. I, I, you know, and that's, that's yeah. the bottom line of business. Definitely. Yeah, of course. And it is all about that bottom line, as you say. Um, okay. I mean, you say there about the difference between lots of camera angles and then potentially a more old school approach of a, a couple of camera angles. Shall we have a look at some old school stuff? Yes. Yeah, Let's have a little chat about these, uh, these matches here. I mean, first of all, we're going to be looking at, um, two matches chose by Yestin to have a look back on, um, from two very different eras and two very different styles. Um, why exactly were, were these two, the ones that you went for? So I absolutely, the, 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 the first one is, uh, I absolutely love the Cactus Jack versus Triple H, the, the street fight from the rumble. I, the, for those who don't know, because they're probably a bit younger than I am, WWE sort of uh, sort of just been on Sky. This was the f- and so a lot of the audience, a lot of people like me who didn't have Sky couldn't watch it. The Royal Rumble was on Channel Four. They signed a deal, so you know there was a real buzz. Like loads of people when I was at sixth form in school, videoed it. It was the talk of sixth form the next day. So it was huge for getting a lot of people back into wrestling. And this match just just sort of captivated me from watching it you know i'd kind of sort of kept up with the product i knew who a couple of the top guys were but i you know i didn't know the, the majority of the roster and this match just sort of captured me um straight away and i you know i became a massive fan of mick foley's um and went back and watched all his old stuff read his books and and everything like that so yeah just a great match and a great example of um of storytelling and, and i'll sort of try and go into the reasons why the match is from my perspective, why I think it is how it is, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And sorry, the Arn and Telly versus the Road Warriors. What, what is it that made that one stand out to you? Um, I've always loved the Road Warriors. Um, and then getting more interested and, and understanding, you know, I love Arn and Tully as a, as a team. Um, this is just an example of just good tag team wrestling, but with a bit of a twist on it, because whenever the Road Warriors were involved the matches always had to be slightly different because they were so dominant but yes this match is an example of how villains were still able to be villains but they were fight almost fighting the odds because the baby faces are so strong and dominant but there's little things that they do that allow them to be in control and allow them to to get the necessary sort of reaction that they want from the crowd without it being just you know the good guys coming in and plowing through them left right and center yeah definitely um okay where would you like to start 1987 or 2000 we'll, we'll start with 2000 okay uh, and then we'll go from there so um to sort of go back if you watch the hype video that comes on before the match on the pay-per-view um and if you'd watched 
the build-up on TV, you know, it was a great job um, of Triple H selling the change from Mick Foley being Mankind to being Cactus Jack. And when having read Foley's books and stuff on the on that portion, and there was a promo that he cuts where he goes from he, he takes an absolute paste in from Triple H <coughs> on Raw and is bloodied up and left, you know, left absolutely decimated. Um, they'd already signed the match to have a street fight. And then he comes out and cuts his promo and he goes, oh, mankind isn't ready to face Triple H in a street fight at the Royal Rumble. And he had to make the switch very... He couldn't leave the dramatic pause in there massively because he, the rock was so over at the time. When he says, you know, mankind isn't ready to, to face you at the Rumble, but I've got a replacement. He didn't want to leave it too long because he didn't want the crowd to start chanting Rocky. Yeah. So then he quickly whips off the mask and quickly, quickly rips open the shirt. But it's Triple H's sell of the change into Cactus Jack that is just absolutely fantastic. Because obviously, there's some history there. They had a one-off street fight where he was Cactus Jack at Madison Square Garden. So it's sort of paying a bit of homage to that. But it's Triple H's sell um, and his facials there that, that really put over, Jesus, this is a dangerous man. Um, you know, and I think that's just absolutely brilliant sort of storytelling. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean... To me, this is this is peak Triple H for me. Obviously, he yeah. went on and wrestled a much longer, and his character changed quite a few times in that in in those following years. But this is, I suppose, um, he he's obviously main event level at this point. He's been around long enough to. Well, I, I would say that this is the this is the match that that cemented him as a main event talent. And I'll, yeah, the, the way that the match is is put together. Again, this is all from my perspective. I think cements Triple H as the main event guy um, because you know he, he held the title once or twice beforehand, but it had been for short periods of time. Um, the way that they put the match together, like he takes an absolute battering throughout the whole match, but still comes out on top, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of cements him as you know this guy is the game. This guy is the best. You know he's he is the peak. You know this was him ascending to the to the top of the mat and then this match really you know as i said cemented him as a as a main event talent definitely yeah it's it's that thing of i suppose he's he's younger obviously um and he's at that level where he's been around he's, you know he's been he's been around the block a few times i guess yeah um, and it's before his first big injury isn't it and i think this yeah. time here from from this time through to i suppose early-ish 2000 when he first picked up that that, that first big injury to me yeah. is the triple h i remember of being um, i may be looking at it wrong but it may, i remember him being a little bit quicker a little bit leaner a little bit uh, almost a little bit sharper at times and yeah, you I see mean, the I, stuff I, he did with foley it's just incredible yeah i definitely think that he was he was probably in the best shape definitely to that point but but like you said he was probably a step quicker than he was after he came back from the injury and you know rightfully so the injury was was huge and stuff like that mm. but i think yeah like you said he moves he moves well he's not so heavy that he's labored and, and lumbering and stuff like that so yeah this is definitely from a physical perspective probably some of the best in-ring work that he that he definitely did in that period yeah and you mentioned also the video package um running into the the match on the pay-per-view nobody before or since has, has done these as well as the WWF or WWE, do they? The, no. the music they choose, the the, the recaps, it, running through what's happened to build you up to this this point, to remind you of what's happened as well, sorry. There isn't another wrestling company around that does these things as well as, as Vince and, and his crew, is there? 
No, absolutely. And I think it probably started about 98, probably 99. But it, they really found the groove in the 2000s with, with the music videos. And <clears throat> and like you said, the choice of music, the, you know, right the way up to modern day WrestleMania is, you know, the type of your choice of music, the way that they put the video packages together, that it, it's probably not in the chronological order of how things happen but it builds the best story if that makes mm-hmm. sense and yeah. they do do a, a fantastic job of just making every match that they want to appear must see must see if that makes sense yeah definitely i mean i looked at the video package for wrestlemania 17 a little while ago the rock hogan the famous yeah. one limp biscuit playing because it is so iconic I just wanted to watch that because something had popped up online to remind me of it. And I thought, I, I want to go give it a watch. Yeah. And then, but watching it on YouTube, it then linked to another one. And then that linked to another one. And I was jumping around all through the... Then you're down the wormhole of... Oh, uh... I lost an afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, this, this match is taking place at Madison Square Garden. Um, how cool is the stage set here as well? I, I love the stage set. I'm, I'm, sometimes I feel that, you know, the particularly WrestleManias, but but a lot of the WWE stages are just so big that people get lost in their entrance. I felt that this entrance and, you know, it being so small and so compact just just did wonders for the event. I think it just made it just completely different from anything else that they were doing at the time or have done since. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And there's one moment when, they're, when Triple H and Foley are fighting down the entrance way. I mean, it's done up like, well, it's a street fight. So it's done up like the streets of New York. Does it? The, yeah. the, tack, the yellow taxi cab above the entrance way. The and, graffiti. The yeah. And the, the corrugated metal by the gates and so on. And they are shot quite, quite tightly by the camera. Yeah. So you can't see any crowd or anything like that. And it genuinely looks like they're fighting down an alleyway somewhere. It's, it's really well done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Definitely. And I think that the match as a whole, you know, even even the little bits of storytelling, like there's there's the stare down as they come out, but then Triple H sending Stephanie to the back puts mm-hmm. over the danger that he's in. You know, he doesn't want his wife out there watching him wrestle this madman because it's almost like, and it, 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 you know, he's not sure. You know, if he was the super brash, confident champion, yeah, you can stay out here, love this. I'll get this done in ten minutes. Easy, easy job. And it, and it goes from that, so he sends her back, then they come into the ring, and they have the stare down, and there's a look that he does. It's not to camera, but it's over the head of the camera, and he just looks petrified. And that is, re- you know, again, just storytelling, the editing and everything, just putting over, this guy's going to be in for the fight yeah, of his life. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know that he's going to come out of this on top, and it is just brilliant. Yeah, and... and um Jim Ross on commentary also sells this point with Stephanie, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, or was it Jerry Lawler as well commenting? I, I don't think this is a, I mean, this a, a is place Lawler. for a young lady to be. Yeah, this is peak Lawler and JR. This is when they, you know, they weren't tired and, you know, just a catchphrase waiting to happen. You know, that they're, you know, <clears throat> Lawler's the, the classic heel color commentator. JR's the all, you know, the all American, you know, play by play. But they just get it so right. You know, mm-hmm. and it is it adds to the match. It's one of those times where you know the the commentary really is you know really is another person in the match basically, and, and adds to it massively. Which is the way it should be, isn't it? I think it's quite yeah, important, definitely. but sometimes o- overlooked aspect, I guess. Um, 
Triple H's old engine. I'm a, I'm a huge Motorhead fan, huge heavy metal fan, and all this. But Triple H's old entrance theme, I think, is an absolute banger. That yeah. alarm going off and him walking out. It's it really sort of set the tone for me with this era of Triple H. I think it was very much more a heel. The, the Motorhead can be heel or face, mm-hmm. depending on what he's doing. Whereas this is just he's just, it's just it, it sounds so arch holist the music. I know that's I don't know if even that's a word. But no, that's what, yeah. so. And you're like, oh my god, this is an annoying sound, but it's also super cool at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And the added lights coming on to it. Yeah, and, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, I mean, early on, very early on, we get some absolutely brutal chair shots, don't we? Straight away onto. Yeah. You know, you know. Our, it's difficult to look back on now, knowing what we know. But I mean, sort of placing yourself in that time, 2000, when these sort of things were commonplace. That even then, when you saw a lot of this, these stood out as being why, holy crap. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and, and uh, with a lot of things that in the last 20 years, you know, research into head injuries has has come on massively, and you know, and, and it's it's you know, there's massive changes not only in wrestling rugby american football and everything like that you know and it you you do have to think about the, the the safety of the performers and and everything like that and that's got to be paramount but you know some you know when they're done right you know they look brutal and whether they are brutal and damage some brain cells you know they probably did but it, again you know it's what it is of its time that's what wrestling was at the time um so again, you you can't judge it by today's standards in that respect, um, but yeah, there, there, there's some pretty horrific um, shots ahead of both guys, definitely in the match. Um, but I, I do think the match does a great job initially. Like, you know, apart from the one match, Cactus Jack has never wrestled in WWE. Triple H is the champion, and he spends the first ten minutes of the match getting absolutely mullered from pillar, pillar to post, basically. Yeah, which again. Massive job by Triple H putting over Foley as this this legitimate threat, putting over the stipulation of the match. You know they're over the barricade, they're through the fans, they're down the the alleyway entranceway and stuff like that. You know, and they both take some big old bumps. You know the the suplex onto the the palatin and then the back suplex onto the 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 garbage can and stuff. You know they're you know they're really you know putting over this match as a, a brutal affair. And I don't know if it's common knowledge or not, but when he takes that suplex onto the the pallets, apparently Triple H got like a four inch splinter down his leg, and that's why his calf's bleeding because he literally had mm-hmm. this huge, great hole in his calf that was like pumping blood. And apparently, you know, and again, he might have been dramatizing it when he was being interviewed, but he said his boot was literally half full with blood by the time he got back to the backstage because that was just literally bleeding nonstop. Well, you can see how much it's pouring out as the match yeah. carries on, can't you? And I think I don't know if it was a picture or a video because I'm going back quite a way now. But there was um, like a, I think it was a DVD extra, so I don't know if it was a still or it was a little video or something like that showing backstage and the bit of wood that went in his leg, and it was yeah. quite quite the size. So it's quite oh, you know, it, it's it's very it was shocking to look at really when you saw the the state of his leg as well. Um, it, it doesn't hinder his you know, you know it doesn't change his performance in the slightest. Mm-hmm. I don't think which is which is more testament to to how tough he is and how much, you know, he cares about putting on the, you know, putting on the match as opposed to, you know, at the time worrying about his leg. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned there the, the back suplex that Cactus Jack takes onto the trash can. His head misses the the same pallet by literally an inch oh, and a half. Yeah. 
it's so close to coming down on on literally the corner of the pallet where where the, obviously the pieces would have nailed together and it's it's yeah. quite sturdy and strong. Oh, they're, 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 that, you know that would he'd have done some serious damage there definitely. It's just insane. I mean, Jack's obviously famous for taking these insane bumps when you look at his early WCW stuff, so 90, 92, 93-ish. Some of the bumps he takes there just make you cringe even now. When I'm watching them back, and I know they're coming. I still wince when I see it. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. No, absolutely. And, you know, he built a career off his body being able, you know, as he says, take more punishment than the average person. But, you know, it's still, you know, you look at him and think, how is he even able to get up from that, let alone mm. carry on wrestling and stuff like that? yeah yeah definitely um we then see an appearance from the barbed wire two by four which is yeah, the, sort of stable with them yeah. but it, i think this is quite clever as well because it comes out so they get a crowd reaction but then it's it's took away and and, and put with the spanish announce team and jack yeah, and goes and get, gets it again the old fake one which i absolutely hate and they they all hate all the people involved in the match mm. like it te- when i watched it the first time even that just took me out of the match momentarily um, because I was like, that's not the same two by four. Cause he, he it's because obviously it's Foley brings it in. And it's a bit of Foley's undoing because, um, he's arguing the ref, he gets low blowed. <coughs> um, and then obviously triple H takes over up with the, and he puts it into his t-shirt, which then obviously skags the bar- barbed wire. And then they take it away. And when they bring the, the other one out, it's completely perfect. So I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh. It's not sort of partially unwound like the previous yeah. one, is it? But I mean, no. my, my point is that, that they've basically got, a, a big pop from the crowd, a big crowd reaction from the crowd, um, twice for the same yeah. thing because they've got the, they've initially got the the two by four out. It's been took away, and then they bring it back again. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, definitely. And they don't, know, and they, and it stops it being overused as well, and just becoming a you know a, again a mindless assault. It's more the storytelling of right. We're going to do a little bit of it. The rest going to take it away, hide it, and then they're going to do the same again. So it's very clever in that respect. They had a clever ref bump as well. Um, you know, and then, and then Triple H, you know, gets his comeuppance with the barbed wire, and just his, his selling at this point is just, you know, obviously he's done the blade job, and he's, you know, blood's all down his face, but he's selling everything he does from that point onwards. It just goes into overdrive. Like, he, there's not a moment he takes where it doesn't look like he's in pain and sort of fighting for his life. Yeah, I, I think he does the. I don't know how to word it, and it sounds very, very simple, but it's obviously not because not everyone does it. But the kind of almost staggering around, sort of bumping from one rope to another, where he's 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 lost his uh, lost his way a touch or lost his legs a touch. It looks so so good, like literally physically exhausted, and and the effects of the match wearing on him. And yeah. Again, like I said, it looks it looks so simple, but it can't be that simple because you don't see everyone do it. He sells from his whole body, right the way from his big toe all the way up to the top of his head. If you look at the way he walks when he's selling, like he's on tiptoes on one leg, the other leg's all bandy legged. You know, a lot of people will sell the area that's in pain, but mm-hmm. he sells literally from his toes to his the end of his hair, basically. You know, and it's, it, that is true, you know, a true master of the craft. And and with regards to that as well, I suppose master of the craft, he's he comes across to me watching, and again I'm very much outside looking in, but he comes across to me watching as someone who's looking for the visual, looking for the 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 the, the, the people at home to see a certain aspect of what's going on. And there's a couple of moments where, for example, he's he's against the corners um, or in the ropes very close to the corner, and he's leant back in such a way that the blood is pouring down his chest, which. Yeah. 
to me, it stands out a great deal. I mean, I'll be honest, that was pointed out to me by um, David Eaton, who yeah. who spoke to me about this match uh, several months ago. Um, and I, I watched it back again today for the purposes of our conversation. I was like, oh my God, look at that. And then the second occasion is where he's on, uh, sorry, Triple H is on the apron on the outside. And Cactus Jack has the barbed wire 2x4 and he's leaning over the top rope and putting it in Triple H's face, get, yeah. getting it on his forehead. And again, the blood is pouring, but Triple H just, it, the camera angles and the way it's shot are just absolutely perfect for these incredible visuals. And again, you know, and this is, goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the change in how WWE is filmed now to 20 years ago, you know, now there would have been 47 different camera cuts and, you know, obviously it wouldn't be barbed wire and blood all down the face and stuff like that, but a, a, a similar sort of thing they'd be keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. Whereas that is just one long shot. You know, he crawls himself over Foley reaches over the barbed wires there and he's ragging it across his face. And then the cell and the, you know, the blood and, and everything is just all in one, one shot basically. And it is, you know, it is a real art to, to, to make sure that you're selling to those cameras, but selling to the 20,000 people there as well. You know, he really does, you know, everything he does is just so, on point with all of that yeah i mean there's one one moment here as well actually around this time that i made a note of simply because i'll just put a question mark next to it um jr comes out with a line that triple h is bleeding like a horse i'm not 100 percent sure what he's trying to get across there i mean the, the horses yeah. randomly bleed i'm not sure but it, 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 it's obviously getting carried away in the moment i assume yeah i mean i always you know the bleeding like a stuffed pig is you know is there's the common sort of saying i, I couldn't I, I can never work out where the bleeding like a horse is. What 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 that's in? It might be something no. <laughs> American that we just that we just don't know. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it it's just absolutely brutal all the way through, and you can see the match taking its toll on both competitors as they draw towards the end. But there's also a moment here where Cactus Jack he's effectively hip tossed into the steps on the outside. Yeah. And it's his, the sort of back of his leg, back of his knee, his ankle area that comes over and hits the steps. I mean, that's got to be incredibly yeah, that, painful. That was the first time I'd ever seen that bump. And I don't think I've actually seen it done like that before. And I don't know whether it was, again, Foley just wanting to make it look as brutal as possible. He's like, oh, my legs whip round and hit the steps. Or whether he was trying to hit his lower back against the bigger part of the steps to that mm-hmm. be the bump, if that makes sense. But, oh, it was absolutely brutal. But then whether it was something that they planned or not, a large part of Triple H's next four minutes of offense is on Foley's leg, chop block, chop block. You know, everything's done to the leg. So whether it was planned or not, they took it and, and worked and ran with it, basically. Yeah, and that and that sort of thing is... That, that's how I like my wrestling, because it makes sense. Somebody yeah. has a body part that is hurt or they're going into a match of an injury or something happens during the match to cause them an issue and then their opponent works on that area it makes sense as as a sporting contest because that is what you would do that's if, what you, if, you know any yeah. kind of combat sport you know if a guy gets a cut in boxing you're going up it sounds brutal you're going after that cut if a if a guy injures his ankle in an mma fight they're going to go after the ankle. it's it's just that is how a sporting contest would be, you know. If you know in rugby that the fly offs had a bad neck, so he just did a massive tackle, he got, you know, tackled and hurt his neck, you're going to go after the fly half. It's just, it is just sporting common sense, if that makes sense. And again, that's, that's, what all, that's the realism that can draw people in. 
because you know if he's walking around limping but you're attacking his neck because it's what you've planned that doesn't make any sense mm. because the audience would go well I wouldn't hurt his neck I'd kick him in the leg yeah exactly exactly it's got to make sense to me it's got to make sense to I suppose people who don't necessarily watch as often I mean my dad I use quite often uh, in the show as an example he's not a wrestling fan in any way shape or form but when I was living at home he would watch the odd match with me or he'd come in from work and roar would be on or, or whatever and if it didn't make sense to him he would happily point it out to me just to make a point Absolutely. You know? and that's where everyone you know everyone what, regardless of what style that you wrestle you know someone that isn't a wrestling fan should become able to come in and sort of ascertain what they're trying to get out of the match if that makes sense or what they're yeah. trying to do yeah definitely and and like you said it's just that realism that just keeps people involved like and keeps can make a a oh what's the word a a, a non-believer a believer if that makes sense yeah yeah, totally. It's the whole suspension of disbelief thing for me as well, where I want it to make sense. So you just you say about getting took out in the moment with the barbed wire. I know exactly where you're coming from. And if, if, if it's looking more like a sporting contest because they're targeting an injured body part, it makes more sense. I'm kept in the moment, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And it's those little bits. And it can be, I think when wrestlers, we all like wrestling. Wrestling fans like wrestling. So you're kind of, it's easy to, um, to forgive the stuff that kind of takes you out at the moment because you just love wrestling and you love watching yeah. it. But when wrestling's trying to grow an audience and it's particularly at live shows and the shows that I do, you're going to get the mums and the dads, you know, the kids pester them for six months because they've seen the, oh, can we go to wrestling? Can we go to wrestling? And, you know the kids are going to be entertained by the wrestling, but you've got to entertain their mum and dad, so their mum and dad will then pay for them to come back. Yeah. And it's yeah. those little bits. Anything that takes them out of it, they'll be like, oh, this is rubbish. This <laughs> is fake. Yeah, definitely. I can understand that. I've got an experience of that firsthand, so I know exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we, we see the handcuffs as well, which is a kind of... It's a nice throwback to the year before. With the um, rock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and it, and then the rock obviously comes out, and you know, he's repaying the issues from night. You know, not repaying, but sort of, you know, in a way, apologising for battering Foley before. But he's also, you know, I presume the original plan was to be Triple H Rock at Mania. So that that coming out and interfering in the match, I'm sure, was supposed to set sow the seeds for that. Obviously, they went a slightly different direction um, with what happened at WrestleMania in 2000, but I'm sure that was that's supposed to be sowing the seeds for for their future interactions and stuff like that yeah yeah definitely i mean i covered wrestlemania 2000 and um backlash 2000 very recently on the show and it does feel like triple h rock should have been the main event at wrestlemania that year and the big show and foley being added it didn't feel like the main event got going until big show and foley were actually eliminated and you got Um, to the one of one yeah definitely Show go, show needed to go. I like the triple threat aspect. There were some nice touches in there, but like you said, the the main event didn't get going until it was Rock Triple mm. H. You know, yeah, definitely. Um, the thumbtacks also make an appearance. Yeah, um, we get a 
a brilliant moment with Triple H, almost teetering, almost, almost, I suppose, uh, comic or sorry, cartoon character style on the edge of a cliff, yeah. teetering over the thumbtacks um, before. Obviously, we go to the finish of Foley kicking out of one pedigree to a huge reaction, but yeah. ultimately succumbing to the second on the tax. Um, you you mentioned about this match and, and the, the little the little things Triple H does and the fantastic storytelling. Uh, before we before we move on, is there anything else in particular you want to comment on about about this this one match here, Yestin? Um, probably like, and this is going to go a bit left field, but how poor Steph is at selling the fear, the anguish at the end of the match in 2000. If you put 2020 Stephanie McMahon in that, you'd have seen a whole different person. And it's, it shows yeah. the evolution that, you know, she comes out and, you know, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing a worried face. Oh, I'm doing a <laughs> yes face. You know, because he's won. Um, you know, but there, you can you can tell that it's very, very forced. And, you know, as, as much as wrestlers progress over, you know, the way that she would have sold that type of match now, She'd have been over the top and huge facials, screaming at the referee, you know, much more than she does then. And I think that it's a testament to how good a performer that she's become as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's, there's sort of clips of her at WrestleMania 16 and, back, again, backlash. So they're, they're fresh in my mind, you see, because I've not long covered them. Yeah. And she's confronting her mum and so on. And it is... I mean, Linda's obviously not suited. It's not her strength, shall no, we say, to being in front being of the camera. In front of the, uh, the cameras is definitely not Linda's uh, uh, forte, shall we say. Yeah, but Steph, you can see she's trying very, very hard, but hasn't quite got it yet. So, yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from with that. Um, I really, really enjoyed this match every time I watch it. Um, and again, this is no different. I watched it back again today. And it's interesting because I feel like I'm noticing stuff, noticing new things each time I watch it. But talking with you, it feels like next time I watch it, I'll notice even more now because of things you've pointed out to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's one of those matches I think you can... Yes, it is bloody, and yes, it's probably not of this time, but I think you could put it on in front of any wrestling audience and they're going to appreciate that match because it is that good. Yeah definitely um the next match then that was selected for us to have a little look at was Arn anderson and telly blanchard of the four horsemen versus the road warriors from starcade 87 um a different time in wrestling and quite a different presentation as well i mean in 87 you had the WWF doing WrestleMania three, I suppose is the one that, that you may sort of link it to, which yeah. is big, big arenas, glossy presentation and so on. The, the other side of the coin, this is the NWA Jim Crockett promotions um, in the middle of a sort of buyout of the UWF as well. There's some UWF guys on the show. Yeah. It's a very different presentation as well, isn't it? It's, it's very much more of a, a sporting type presentation than the, the glitz and glamour and the the entertainment that was WWE. You know, they're in a good size arena. I think they're in this one of the Chicago arenas. There's probably about fifteen thousand people there. So it, it's not like they were, you know, doing terrible business compared to, you know, this this wasn't a, a WWE TNA type of difference. This was very no. much, you know, two competing um, companies on a fairly equal playing field. You know, and, and people, I would probably say that the from a wrestling perspective. The NWA roster was probably for a man. There was better wrestlers, and then you'd have the bigger characters and the production values with Vince and stuff like that. And you know, and a lot of big, you know, three hundred pound guys that weren't great at wrestling, but you know, they were there to be fed to Hogan and Savage. 
you know, and, and a few other guys, but the, the real wrestlers were, were definitely, um, on the NWA side, you know, from, from a pure bell to bell inside the ring perspective. Definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely agree. And I scanned through the, the pay-per-view, um, as I got to the match, I watched a bit of the opener and then we had a bit of Barry Windham and Steve Williams. Yeah. Uh, and again, just skipping through the matches, watching a match here, a match there before getting to, to this contest we're, we're talking about today, hundred percent in agreement that the roster is just stacked with talent. I mean, obviously they're taking in, uh, the UWF guys as well. They're sort of merging the two companies. Bill Watts is, is selling up at this stage, I believe. Yeah. And, um, so they're getting those guys coming in as well, but yeah, absolutely stacked, absolutely stacked roster, which makes it kind of odd when you think that the main event's got Ronnie Garvin going for the world title against Ric Flair. But he was a big star at the time. Like, you know, if you watch any of the sort of 80, 86, 87 stuff, he was getting as bigger reactions, you know, and he, he came across as a, you know, a legit tough guy. He was very much the, you know, he's very similar size to Flair. You know, he's mm-hmm. not, you know, and, and Flair was the technical wrestler, whereas um, Ronnie was more of the, the brawler and the, you know, his hands of stone and stuff like that. So it, I think it made for a very captivating main event because it was so different, you know, than say a Dusty versus Flair, which was, yeah. you know, the promos were, were absolutely killer and, you know, and they worked a different style. You know, Wyndham wasn't quite at that world title level yet. Luger wasn't quite there, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, he was a Garvin was a big star at the time, and I think that he was, you know, he was he was very much seen as quite a legit champion, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand, I understand, and and that sort of tough man side to him was the main selling point, I guess. Looking again, back, yeah, and again because you know WWE WWF was, you know, Hogan, Warrior, you know, these type of guys like that. Whereas you know WCW NWA was more, you know they look like real blokes if that makes sense <laughs> yeah not sort of a huge inflated physiques and crazy face paint and, and yeah and, and all the yeah i know what you mean all the multicolor yeah but, but obviously that that worked for the wf at the time they were making stacks of money yeah but i much preferred looking but if i do go back i much prefer looking back on this side of the fence if that makes sense <laughs> i mean and then we're going to sort of contrast it by going to the only t- the two massive face paintings you know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah completely contradicting what i just said yeah brilliant <laughs> um but because, I mean, they, were the, but because they were the only ones doing that and they were so big and so freaky looking and the way they wrestled they were they were as big an, an attraction as the world champion, as the, you know, they didn't need the belts because they were big enough attraction by themselves, the road warriors. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everywhere that people talk about the road warrior pop, isn't it? Is the term. Yeah. Some people from that era discuss. Um, the sad thing is obviously you can't hear exactly on, on the network because of the, the issues they have with the music rights and they've got to yeah. dub something out, which is a shame, but I, I imagine you might be able to find something on YouTube. I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to have a look. I'm sure, I'm sure there, there would be stuff from around this time and you'd probably have to get probably Starkid on there somewhere. If you went searching mm. into the deep, dark depths of it, you know, but they were particularly in Chicago, they were literally, you know, beloved and people would just go crazy for them. So, you know, this, this match was, was done, in the same vein as the singles match we just talked about, but this was very much done, you know, to make them even more, you know, of a, you know, whereas the last one was making triple H 
because he was getting beaten up. This was making the Road Warriors by them just literally battering on doing beating up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that was the, that was one thing I really took away from this. Arn and Tully they don't get masses in at all. I mean they have a little period where they're working over Hawk's leg at one stage, which is very um, cleverly done the way they get to it, you know, he's got um Tully up in the in the gorilla press and and is it and then Arn chop blocks him or kicks him in the yes. knee basically. You know, so it's you know, the whole match is literally like power move them running off power, you know, and, and they're being the perfect, um, you know, excuse the saying, chicken shit heels, you know. Yeah. And you put them in against any other team, they're battering them. They're not battering the Road Warriors. So they've got to come out with everything in their arsenal. You know, they take a couple of moves, they take the back to the outside. And it's the little touches. Arn gets absolutely pasted in the first bit. And then he comes to the outside and Tully straight down checking on him. You know, it's those little bits, you know, they're working as a team. You know, same as if you were playing, you know, playing a real sport and your teammate takes a big tackle, you go over and, you're like, Dave, yeah, come on, get on your feet, let's go, you know. It's that kind of stuff that's just absolutely brilliant. And again, talking about the little facials, there's there's one time Tully's just taking a pace in, I think it's off Animal, and he tags in Arn, or Arn goes to tag in that he would normally do, and then he looks up and he's like, hand on his forehead, what have I just done, (laughs) you know. Again, you know, he's putting over Hawk and, Hawk and Animal without even taking a move off him. He literally stands there for about 20 seconds with his hand on his forehead like, yeah. oh my God, I'm in for a pace. You know, and it's just the little bits like that are absolutely brilliant, you know. And um, moments as well where they, like you said, they, they have those, those, those moments, I guess, where the one will check on the other. But there's also one occasion that's quite good where that they've both hit that what the one's eating the clothesline. Um so I think Arn or I think it was Arn comes in and then takes another one. And then yeah. they, they they almost have to go over to the corner and have a little chat and have a little regroup and think, okay, how are we going to get around this? Which again, when you see the champions do this and you see a tag team and two guys who are at the level that Tully and Arn are having to stop and have an extra think about, okay, what are we going to do next? First of all, it makes them look quite intelligent to be to be attempting that and, and, and sort of having a look at their game plan. But secondly, it shows how worried they are about the Road Warriors because of what they've already faced. It's completely not them for six, so to speak. Exactly. They're used to battering people, you know, and if you were a team that was used to battering people and then you're being battered yourself, you would take two minutes to go, like, oh, hold on, right, what are we doing here? Like, what, what We need to go deep in the playbook and come up with something that's going to, you know, going to put give us that edge and, and and it's just you know they've got managers out there and apart from a little bit where they all sort of jump down onto the outside you know jay you know jj isn't interfering pulling the leg and doing all this sort of stuff you know ellerin's obviously a babyface manager so he's you know you wouldn't have a babyface manager getting involved and less provoked but sometimes less is more from the managers and i th- sometimes think that you know just because you've got a manager out there you've got to get them involved in six different spots to to get the heat on them. Sometimes they just don't need it, particularly mm. if the performers are good enough in the ring. Yeah, it can take away sometimes from what's going on in the ring as well, I think. If you've got somebody a bit too busy, potentially. Yeah, um, you my, want the my... heat in the ring. You don't want the heat on the guy outside the ring unless yeah. you're lit- unless the, the payoff to this match is the guy outside the ring taking the biggest bump at the end of the match, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I mean, you mentioned there the press slam and the chop block to sort of get Arn and Tully a little bit of an advantage. I thought that was incredibly clever as well because it wasn't 
the first press slam used in the match. No. They'd, they'd, they'd done a couple previously, um, which had gone well. They'd, they'd, they'd done the press slam successfully, the Road Warriors. Yeah. So this, I suppose, they have a little, uh, their little meeting in the corner, their little regrouping session. They come out and then they counter the move that they've been hit with a couple of times already. I thought that was absolutely brilliant storytelling because it links back would, to what yeah. they'd already what they'd already took. They'd taken it. You just you just said right. He's vulnerable when he's up when he's got one of us up in a press slam. So if it happens, the other one just come in and kick his leg out. You know that would be the kind of thing that a heel team would say mm-hmm. because they know that the pre- they, you know the road warriors used to press slam people every other move basically because they were just freaks and so so strong. Yeah. Yeah, so again, you know, very clever, then, isn't it? And then they cut the ring off. They keep them grounded because you know they know as soon as they get back to their feet, even at fifty percent, they're still you know going to be in trouble. So they just keep them grounded, keep them grounded, and then you know the finish. It come, you know, people say, "Oh, he didn't have much of a hot tag," but the finish was was what that wasn't the hot tag wasn't needed for the finish. It was very deliberate to get to the point where obviously Tommy Young gets knocked out of the ring. Um, Arn charges at Hawk, uh, Animal, sorry, and he gets backdropped over the ropes. Tommy Young sees it because he's not completely dead on the floor, but he's you know he's injured enough not to get back in. So Hebner comes in. They hit the um, Doomsday device. One, two, three. New champs. Crowd goes wild. And then no. Tommy Young comes in. No. Disqualified. You know, and, and the whole point of that match is... The Road Warriors, everyone knows the Road Warriors are the most dominant team going, but they don't need the belts because if they put the belts on them, then they have to lose to yeah. have them taken off them. So yeah, Where do you go from there sort of thing, isn't it? You achieve the, the pop of them winning to then have it taken away, but eventually they'll get there and it will be an even bigger pop because they've had it, the fans have had that little taste of it and then it was taken away from them. Yeah, it, it's it is. Um, I suppose the the dusty finish is sometimes worded yeah. as this, isn't it? Where it, it looks like you're giving the fans exactly what you, they want, and then there's a bit of a swerve there, um, and so on. I mean, when Arn gets back dropped over the top rope, there's a second referee that comes in who actually counts the pinfall for the yeah, the it's first decision of, of WWF fame. Okay, yeah, okay, very he young was, looking, Earl. <laughs> a very young, a very young looking, Earl, yeah. He almost gets splatted by Arn as yeah, well. Yeah, he nearly breaks his leg. <laughs> yeah, Arn, Arn sort of just comes down on top of him, and he, you know, it's not the most graceful of landings. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's again, it's the storytelling standpoint of this that the, the heels, I guess, for me, a sneaking away. I mean, chicken shit as, as is spot on for what you said, Justin. They're, they're, they managed to escape by the skin of their teeth by a technicality uh, with their belts when they've been beaten effectively. Um, so you still get the the road warriors standing strong and looking like the awesome powerhouse monsters they are. I think it's a, again so cleverly done. Um, obviously, there's criticism. and no one, no, no one, and it sounds crazy, but no one loses anything from the result of the match because you know if you're the champs and you get beat by a team that's absolutely dusted you for ten minutes straight, you look rubbish. You then your stock drops all the way down. Mm-hmm. But because they got beat in inverted commas and then the decision was reversed. They still got the world titles. They turn up on TV the next time. Well, we're still the world tag team champs because they cheated. They might have kicked our ass, but we're still the champs. So they haven't lost any momentum. They're still hated by everyone. The Road Warriors got the pop, and then they're unjustly, justly have the win taken away from them. They're, you know, they haven't lost any stock either. Both teams have actually been elevated by effectively both teams losing. 
yeah definitely i mean i i really enjoyed this match it's it was two different styles as well for me the sort of powerhouse side of the road warriors the more for want of a better term uh the technically based side of the horseman combo i, I really enjoyed this i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure if i've ever seen it before so i'm really glad that you suggested this i really enjoyed watching it back this afternoon is there anything else you want to add on, on this match whilst we're covering it um it's just, it's just a good example of how you don't have to follow the usual tropes of wrestling to have a very effective match um you know wrestling you know and wrestlers are guilty you know by tropes i mean baby faces come out yay baby faces oh villain 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 baby faces at the end whatever the finish is you don't need you know if you're a good storyteller you don't need to follow that tropes you can mm. tell any kind of story that you want and i think that a lot of times you know people don't look at wrestlers don't look right i'm this guy and i do this and i'm wrestling this guy and he does this so it would actually make more sense if we did x y or z as opposed to the normal one two three does that make sense you know yeah. you can still have a very effective match that gets the desired result but you don't need to go the paint by numbers the tro- the wrestling tropes to get there you want to look at each match as a right my opponent is this i'm this what's going to be the best story that we can tell and sometimes it may well be the standard wrestling tropes particularly if you're you know, early on in the card or you're just a, you know, you're not a main event match. You're not a, a big title match. Maybe you do just want to go down the wrestling, the wrestling pain by numbers. But if you are in a big match position, try and think outside the box, try and do something different. Try and if someone, if there's someone has so much of a huge advantage for whatever reason that it is, try and take that advantage away from them, whether they're the baby face or the villain. So then there's a different type of matchup and stuff like that. You know, and it all depends on where you are, where you are in a program, are you a regular venue? Are you just, um, you know, in front of a, a one-time town hall crowd, you know, and stuff like that. But think of the different ways that you can do stuff and, and go from there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's all those different aspects that come into what you're doing, isn't it? So, yeah, totally. Um I have a couple of quick questions for you, Justin, about these two matches. If I can, fantastic, please. yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I've got one here. Uh, we'll start with the Arn and Teddy and Road Warriors match, um, as that's what we just spoke about. This is from at DJ Kirkby on Twitter, uh, Mister Mags, who is he's also got some podcasts on this network. One of them he hosts with me on my other show, Chain Wrestling, which is at Chain underscore Wrestling on Twitter. Please go and check that out. I have a great time talking with Mags each week. Um, he asks, Arn and Tully faced the Road Warriors at Chai Town Heat as well, but never again crossed paths on a purely tag team basis. Why do you think this was, and which team would you have going over if the feud did continue? Probably because they were both so dominant, mm-hmm. and it, you'd have probably not gained much, as I was sort of saying, with how this match sort of went in a back and forth title swapping thing, or you'd have lost the shine off Tully and Arn if you'd have had them constantly being beat by the Road Warriors. So I think it was a necessity of booking to sort of keep them away from each other because you needed them with other teams to still be a threat, if that makes sense. And I think if you'd have yeah. had, even, even if you'd have had it 80-20 in the Road Warriors' favour, that 20% of them losing would have definitely taken away from what they were as an attraction at the time. 
And I think that I'm just trying to think of the dates. When did the Brainbusters go to WWF? Was that, that was 89? Late, no, it was 88, wasn't it? I think they were there so in they, late 88. So, you know, I know that they're, you know, if you think about where they were, you know, they they wouldn't they wouldn't have wanted to be, potentially be in that situation if they had any creative control, getting absolutely poggered every week and then trying to get a new contract because their, you know, their value would have been less. I don't know how mm-hmm. much control they had over it, but I think just from a booking perspective, they were the two most dominant teams. So therefore, you wouldn't want them constantly going at each other because you lose their ability to be a draw with other teams. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, speaking of sort of the dominant factor, I guess, it links into um, our second question about this match. And this comes from a friend of mine, Mark Critchley, via WhatsApp. Uh, he actually says on this show about four tag teams. There's the two we're covering here, the, the Road Warriors and Arn and Telly. And then there's also the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. Four teams that are very predominantly 80s, I guess. These are these are my words, not, not Mark's. He's, he's asking... If you were to rank these four in order, how would you put them? Now, I've, when, I, when I first read this, I, I, I had a real think about it, and I'm not going to lie, I'm glad we're asking you and not me. <laughs> this, now, this is so difficult because you, there's a case for each one of those teams being number one. Yes. Um, if I was to go personally, I'd go, and this is just on because I love the Road Warriors, they'd have to be number one because they were so dominant, but there's a that is such a difficult question bloody hell um because each one of them did such a fantastic job of what their team was designed to do yeah exactly you know the rock and roll express were the the greatest babyface underdog selling tag team in the world you know the midnight express were this cocky horrific heelish tag team arn and tully were Heelish, but they were also they were just wrestled as if they were better than you. And then you had the ultimate powerhouse team. I mean, that is just oh, yeah, Mark, you actually get <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's try it. So, um, if you took and I know titles aren't the be all and end all as we've just discussed, mm-hmm. you'd probably have to go fan reaction, and this is close. And I'm just taking fan reaction. I'm not saying like babyface villain. Yep. Road Warriors one, Rock and Roll two, Arn and Tully three, Midnight four. Oh, okay, interesting. But that I... is purely on crowd react. You know, reaction to either their biggest wins or their biggest losses, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Um... What was your What was your ranking? Oh, Streif. See, if I went by personal personal taste, I'd probably go. Arn and Tully first, the Midnights second, then the Road Warriors, then the Rock and Roll. But I always like the bad guys. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, as I, I don't know if I mentioned, I've mentioned on the show before. But I don't know if I've mentioned to you before. Um, my mum, who you've met at an Evolution show in the past now, um, used to laugh at me when I was a kid because I used to like all the bad guys, even when I was little. Uh, <laughs> I, apparently, I was very happy when Shawn Michaels threw Marty Jannetty through the window. That's that sort of scenario. So, so <laughs> I'm Rick Rude in. 8990 uh, I was a big fan of his when I yeah. should have been cheering for the warrior that sort of thing so <laughs> maybe that's influencing me but yeah it, it is an incredibly difficult question to answer and I suppose 
you can ask the same question every day for the next month and probably get a different, come up with a different answer yeah. and a different reason you know to me they're the best four tag teams of the 80s yeah. and then you'd add in you know the rockers came along and they were late 80s early 90s um demolition as well but those are the you know and there was lots of other good tag teams, don't get me wrong, the Bulldogs. But to me, they're probably the four best examples of tag teams in the 80s, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I've got two more quick ones for you, and then I will let you depart, sir. Um, the 2000 Raw Rumble. So this is from uh, at DEJ Kirby again. The 2000 Raw Rumble was the only one that was actually won by The Rock. Do you think he should have won more Rumbles, considering his impact on the business and his main rival, Steve Austin, won three of them? Um, probably, pro- again, The Rock was so over that he probably didn't need the Rumble victories. You know, if you look at the time and the people that, you know, Austin won the Rumble to then um, to face him. I know that he had to beat Angler um, No Way Out to mm-hmm. get the title. Um you know, and Austin won his two rumbles when the rock was just, when the rock was still sort of ascending to being on that top tier and probably other people needed those rumble wins more than him. Could there have been a case that he snuck back in and got one? Probably not really, because I feel that he was such a big star, you know, he won the one rumble, then he was around for probably three, four more years. And then he was off Hollywood and, and, you know, in that time, other people needed those rumble wins, not him. Yeah, I mean, he just he departed in 2002, didn't he, after yeah. losing to Brock? So you think 2002, Triple H won the Rumble when he came back from injury, so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, 2001, as you say, um, Austin had to win to go on and face The Rock. So, yeah, I suppose I suppose that sort of sums it up, yeah, very well. I mean, 2003, he obviously came back and wrestled Austin at Mania, but the title picture there was very much Lesnar, and Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, you know, and it, you know, you'd already done, Lesnar had already beaten him to win the title. So I think that rehashing that match, mm. knowing that he wasn't going to be around, would have been, you know, it would have just been Lesnar going over again, which would have done not as much as the Angle match did for him, you know, and, and Austin wanted to do it, do the favors. And, you know, their match was very high up on the, you know, high up on the card because of the caliber of the stars, but it wasn't the title picture. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, um, and a very quick one. Um, it was asked to me in person as I picked her up from school earlier. Um, <laughs> uh, I said, Charlie, I'm speaking to Yestin later. And obviously, those who listen to the show regularly know that my daughter is absolutely obsessed with the individual I'm speaking to today. So, a favorite wrestler. He's up there with Cody and the Young Bucks as on her favorites list. Um, Charlie would like to know, my little girl would like to know, when we, we get matches back, are you going to win your belt back? That's the plan. Uh, you know, um, I will definitely, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of title tournaments for all the vacated belts at the evolution shows that you and your family come and watch. So my plan would be to throw my name in the hat. Um, I've been working hard in the time away from the ring. I'm probably about 20, 25 pounds heavier than I was last time I was wrestling. So you, you, you know, I'm, I've done everything in my power to put myself in the best possible position. Um, and then we'll just that's that's the plan basically no worries i'll tell her yes you will (laughs) (laughs) 
obviously there's, there's still I can't go and say in the night to my daughters without whichever way I turn seeing your face because there's pictures of you <laughs> all over her bedroom. It drives me nuts, mate. <laughs> I do, as always. I do apologise. No, no, it's great. It's great that she loves wrestling so much, and you're a big part of that. So, okay, uh, Yestin, thank you so so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I've had a great time breaking down these two matches and having a little insight into them from someone such as yourself who obviously knows far more about this topic than I um, before I let you go can you just let everybody listening know whereabouts they can find you online yeah so on on Instagram and Twitter it's exactly the same it's at Yestin underscore Reese I'm sure like everyone struggles to spell my name but it'll be on the uh, the Twitter announcements of this so you know links in there um, and just you know and again I love doing the podcast I love coming on chatting with someone so if you'll have me on again and there's people want to ask more questions, we could do a Q and a based one, whatever you, wherever you fancied next time that I'm on in another 20 or 30 episodes, shall we say? Yeah. Sounds great. Love to have you back on. I've really enjoyed it. So that'd be, that'd be awesome. No problem at all. Okay. Uh, yes, Din, once again, thank you so, so much for sparing your time to talk to me. I hugely, hugely appreciate it. I've had a brilliant time. Um, and to everyone else, thank you for listening. 